the young ones from children's church age, if they'd like to go and see Nikki up the back there and grab one of these. If you run out and you need one, I've got one on the seat. I think Sandy's going to use it this morning. You can have that one, dear. We could do it together while Jess preaches, yeah. <laughs> well, it is an honour this morning to introduce and uh, thank Pastor Jess Corbett coming all the way from my city church down in Boyne Island. And uh, as you saw, the other half will be here next week. We, we've got the good half this week. So, uh, so come on, Jess, come on. Uh, we're looking forward to what you have for us this morning. Bless you. Thank you so much, Pastor Malcolm. Wow, so great to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I absolutely love uh, Port City Church. My family, when we moved to Boyne Island, this is where we came uh, when we first came along. And so we go way back uh, with Port City Church. And I was dedicated here on this stage. And I even had the pleasure of meeting my husband 15 years ago, right about here, about second row. I remember meeting him at a night service here at church. And uh, so I absolutely love you guys, and I love all that you've done throughout the years, and uh, we have the privilege of being led by your pastors, James and Michelle, across the region. They lead all the ACC pastors in this area, and uh, I am yet to meet a couple more genuinely kind and loving and just devoted to serving God, and so it's an absolute pleasure to come and speak with you this morning. But probably the most experience I've had with your church is with your young people, uh, because Anthony and I, we led our youth ministry for the last many years. And uh, I can tell you, we're always excited when the Port City guys come along because they are just so passionate for God. And uh, they are the nicest young people I've yet to meet. And uh, we absolutely love what you guys are doing. And I think it is such a great sign of a growing church to have a dynamic youth ministry full of young people that are sold out for God. And uh, there's nothing excites me more than seeing them in the front rows here. Um, because I can guarantee you this, if you continue just to chase after God, you're just going to go higher and higher in your life. And uh, so I'm really excited about this morning. But why don't we pray? Amen. God, we just thank you that we have the opportunity just to hear from you every day. But we just pray that today, Lord God, that you just speak something clear and uh, something prophetic over our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It was quite a few years ago when I was just a young person. I was about 10 or 11, I think younger person. And uh, I was at home and it was my turn that night to wash the dishes. And uh, we have lots of dishes in our house because I'm from a big family. So I'd been there for ages already. And uh, I was just minding my own business, washing the dishes when all of a sudden I hear this loud crack behind me. And uh, so I fling around all of a sudden to see what it was. And to my horror, standing only a couple of metres away was my older brother. And uh, he has this evil smile on his face as he grabs the tea towel again and just begins to wind it up one more time. And panic just sets in on me then. But I knew one thing, because I have six brothers, and I knew one thing with all of them is you can never show fear. And uh, so I just decided to fake it. And so I smiled back at him and I uh, said, two can play at that game. And so I grabbed myself a tea towel and I began to wind mine up quite confidently looking at him. And uh, I'm like, you're going to get it. And I flung it out as fast as I could. And uh, just as I was waiting to hear that sharp crack across his legs, it just made a <laughs> noise. And then I'm like, that was just a practice one. You have already had a go. And so I tried again and it's like, 
And now panic has just set in on me because he's starting to laugh and he's getting ready to hit me again. And so he's cracking out his tea towel as fast as he can. It's hitting me on the legs and hitting me on the arms. And so by now, I've lost it. And so I did what any younger child would do. I start screaming for mum. I'm like, mum, mum, mum. And I'm running back and forth across the kitchen, screaming my lungs out. And it's not working. He's just hitting me over and over again. And uh, so I saw my one last chance and I dove at him and wrapped my arms around his stomach because you know that you need a little bit of distance to crack a tea towel. And uh, I laughed. I'm like, finally. And uh, it just pauses for a moment until I feel him just reaching up. And who knows, you can crack a tea towel from up high. And so he's cracking me on my toes now. And so I've got my arms wrapped around his waist, going like this all around the kitchen, screaming for mum. And to my delight... I see dad coming up the stairs. I'm like, finally, you know, I've been saved. And he just walks straight past down to his bedroom. And uh, maybe that's just one of the things that happen when you have quite a few kids. You just get used to, you know, just deal with it yourself. And uh, so this went on for quite a long time until I eventually got away. But it can happen so often, the more you grow up as well. You know, you can be going along in life, minding your own business, when out of nowhere, something comes against you. Unfortunately, it's not always as uh, fun as a tea towel fight from your family. Often it can actually be quite serious. Maybe it's a health issue that comes along. Maybe it's a financial issue. Maybe it's a child that you just has gone off the rails and you're brokenhearted about it. Maybe it's a marriage that was once strong and healthy that is now crumbling of heartache. Maybe it's a job loss that you were never expecting. But you can go on in life, minding your own business, and just these things come at you. And and you can try and fight as much as you want. You can try and be as strong as you want. But there's some things that there's nothing you can actually do against it. And you just end up feeling completely helpless. But I want to tell you this morning that God did not call us to be victims of our situations, but He actually called us to be victorious in every season that we face. And that no matter how big something is that is coming against you, that God has given us a way to powerfully respond to it. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning in the story of Jehoshaphat. And so if you have your Bibles here with you today, I just want to encourage you, uh, open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, uh, because that's where we're going to be looking at the story of Jehoshaphat. You see, Jehoshaphat, for a little bit of history, he was a king. He was the king of Judah. And for the most part, he had followed God. Somewhere along the way, but he got a little bit more confident in man's ability than in God's. And he he didn't really listen to what God said. And he went off to war when he shouldn't. And that didn't go too well, as you can imagine. And so we find in this chapter, it's just straight after that has happened. And Jehoshaphat comes back and he makes a decision there and then that what he'd done was wrong and that he'd Uh, He hadn't been actually following God devotedly. And so he makes a decision that he's going to be devoted to God from that day forward. But not only that, uh, King Jehoshaphat actually travels throughout the land and he begins to encourage all the people throughout the land to also turn their hearts back to God. It was during this time, as Jehoshaphat was actually pressing in closer to God, that he hears the alarming news that not one but three armies are coming against him and his people. They are much bigger than his army. They are much more powerful, much more strong. There is absolutely nothing that him and his people can do to stand against them. And it's 
quite easy just to chat about what that must be like, but I can't even begin to imagine how that would have been feeling for the people of that time. These armies were not coming just to have a nice chat. They were literally coming to rob, steal and destroy from them. They were coming to take their freedom. They were coming to take their children, probably put them into slavery. They are coming to kill them. They were coming to take their peace, their prosperity, everything that they had. And they were absolutely outnumbered. This is the situation that Jehoshaphat was facing. And rightly so, it says he was absolutely terrified by the news. And this was his response. It says, starting in verse 3, so 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3, Jehoshaphat was terrified by this news and begged the Lord for guidance. He also ordered everyone in Judah to begin fasting. So people from all the towns of Judah came to Jerusalem to seek the Lord's help. We see here the first and most powerful response that Jehoshaphat had in the face of an impossible situation was he decided to seek God. I was going to bed a couple of weeks ago and um, I was just rolling over for like the 20th time because, you know, you've got to roll over quite a few times before falling asleep. And as I was rolling over, my eyes just flickered open and right in front of me, only like 20 centimetres away, I saw just this dark round shape. And my heart just froze in that moment as I'm trying to run through my head all the things that it could possibly be. And I'm picturing all these kids' movies I've seen and all the scary things in the movies. And I'm like, is it a snake caught up on my bed? Is it a possum's got in the house? What is it? Have the kids just left a ball on my bed? And I'm like, no, it wasn't there when I went to sleep. And, and so I'm racing through my mind what it could be. Meanwhile, thinking, what should I do about this strange, dark thing just sitting on my bed right in front of my face? And so I thought about waking up Anthony and uh, I thought about running out of the room. But I chose the most logical response which was to touch it, to see what it was. And uh, so I remember like reaching out my hand, shaking, just wondering, I'm like, I don't know what it's going to do. I don't know what it is, but I got to know what it is on my bed. And I reach out my hand, shaking, and I feel it. And it's warm. I'm like, oh no, it's alive. And my hands feel like this soft, like hair. And I'm like, it's an animal on my bed and I'm like feeling down and then I feel like these little bumps on it and it's eyes and then I hear this mom and what had happened is my daughter had come along and just placed her head on the bed like this and uh, you couldn't see her body it's just like this round head shape on my bed and so I responded lovingly with what are you doing in here and she told me her, her problem was that she couldn't sleep. And I would love to tell you that I'm very patient, but this happens regularly in our house, and so my patience is no more. And uh, so I said to her, in the nicest way possible, there is nothing I can do about that. The only thing I can do is pray for you and then get back in your bed. And uh, so I prayed for her quickly so she would go away. I'm like, dear God, help her to sleep. Amen. And uh, she went back off to her room and I rolled over and just had to think for a while about what I had just said to my daughter. You see, so often our response in the face of an issue or in the face of a problem when we can't actually physically do anything about it is to say, well, I can't do much. The only thing I can really do is pray. And it's kind of like we use it as this thing that's just like, 
bless you, you know, when somebody sneezes, like we don't expect it to have any impact at all. But I want to tell you this morning that the most powerful response you can ever bring is to seek God, because it doesn't matter how big your situation is, it doesn't matter how big your circumstances are, God is so much bigger than anything that will ever come against you. And so we see this is what Jehoshaphat does, he understands this. And in the face of a mighty army coming towards him, he says, not just me, but we as a people are going to seek God. And we're not just going to give one little prayer up to God and then walk away and go, oh, well, that didn't work. But we are going to seek God with everything we are. And so they gather all the people together and they begin to pray together. This is families gathered together and they're fasting because they are desperate for an answer from God. And this is what happens next, starting in verse 13. It says, as all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, wives and children, the Spirit of the Lord came upon one of the men standing there. His name was Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mattaniah, a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow, march out against them. You'll find them coming up through the ascent of Ziz at the end of the valley that opens into the wilderness of Jeru. But you will not even need to fight. Take your positions, then stand still and watch the Lord's victory. He is with you, O people of Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid or discouraged. Go out against them tomorrow, for the Lord is with you. So the next day, they pack all their war stuff. And uh, they march out as an army towards the enemy that is coming against them. Keep in mind, nothing has changed. They have not somehow miraculously found another couple of thousand soldiers overnight. They have not finished up some new form of weaponry that was going to give them an advantage. They have not received some new intel saying, look, sorry, King Jehoshaphat, we got it wrong the first time. There's only like 100 guys coming. We'll be able to smash them. Uh, Nothing had changed. None of their situation had changed except for one thing, that they had heard a word from God. And on hearing a word from God, they begin to excitedly walk towards their enemy. It's only somebody that's heard a word from God that's going to do that. And so I imagine the army men are walking out, wondering in excitement, what is it that God is going to do? They have heard the stories before of the miracles God has done for His people before. They have heard of the mighty and marvellous things. And so I can imagine them walking. I can imagine them whispering, what is it that God is going to do this time? I imagine them scanning the horizons as they're walking along, just looking for what it is that God is going to do. Maybe they're going to see somebody coming out with a white flag and surrender. Maybe they're going to see a plague of frogs come and you just kind of stomp the army to death. Maybe they're going to see, you know, the earth begin to quake and, and the ground swallow them up. They're wondering, what is it that God is going to do? What are we going to see today? What is the story we're going to be able to tell our children? And so they're marching towards the enemy, looking and scanning the horizons But yet the closer they got towards this enemy that wanted to kill them, the more they began to alarmingly realise that nothing had happened. God hadn't sent the plague of frogs to stomp our enemies to death. God has not swallowed them up into the ground and we're getting closer, but nothing has happened. I imagine it's a little bit like what it was when I was a kid and we played What's the Time, Mr. Wolf? Who here's played What's the Time, Mr. Wolf? 
awesome. Because if you haven't played it, this is what happens is, you know, the group of kids lines up at one end of the room and you choose somebody to be the big bad wolf and they go and wait at the other end. And uh, this group says, what's the time, Mr. Wolf? And uh, the wolf down the end gets to choose any time, for example, five, and says, it's five o'clock. And then everyone down this end has to take five steps closer to the wolf. And say, one, two, three, four, five, and then you repeat it again. What's the time, Mr. Wolf? And they might say, three o'clock. And what happens is when you're down this end, when you start the game, you're really confident. And so they might say, three o'clock, so you're like, one, two, three, maybe says four o'clock and he steps getting a bit closer now. And the scary thing is at any time that wolf can say dinner time, then he can turn around and he can run and he tries to eat you. He tags you and then you're caught. And uh, that is devastating as a child because you don't want to lose. And so the closer you get, it gets a little bit scarier and you're a little bit less confident. So now your steps are a bit smaller. One, two, three, four. What's the time, Mr. Wolf? Seven o'clock, oh. one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, three o'clock, five o'clock. And your steps get smaller and smaller the closer you get to the wolf because you are absolutely terrified of what is going to happen. And so I imagine it's a little bit like this for King Jehoshaphat and his army as they're getting closer. You know, they start off excited. You know, God's going to do something. Something amazing is going to happen. And we're getting closer now, God. I don't know if you've realised the enemy is still up that way. We're still getting closer. And the closer they get, the more fear begins to take place instead of confidence in God. And they begin to wonder, did, did we actually hear God right to begin with? Were we just imagining it? Did that, was that prophetic word actually true? What, what happens if God has forgotten about us? What happens if nothing's going to happen? And, and we're getting closer and we, don't, we still don't have enough people and they're going to kill us. And, and fear begins to arise. You and I have been in those situations before, not quite that extreme. You know, that time when uh, you get a sickness and God gives you a word that he's going to heal you. But you go back to the doctors and the report is still the same. Or next month you're still in the same amount of pain and, and you begin to, fear begins to rise. What happens if God never actually intended on healing me at all? Or maybe you have a child that, that's lost and just going through a really rough patch and you hear a word from God that you're going to see them live victoriously for me. And you're believing it and you're excited for it, but... They're not actually getting any better. They're getting much, much worse. And now there's a, a new drug that they're addicted to and they've just lost another job and they're in another bad relationship. And fear begins to grip your heart. Or maybe it's a job that you've been believing for, praying for, and those five jobs that you applied for all came back as nothing. And you begin to scan, you know, the news, you begin to scan online jobs and you see that there's nothing there at all. And, and fear begins to rise. And, and as they're getting closer and King Jehoshaphat looks out across his army and instead of a confident group of men going off to war, there was a man that were terrified. And it's in this moment we see Jehoshaphat make his second most powerful choice in the face of an impossible situation. Starting in verse 20, it says this. Early the next morning, the army of Judah went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. On the way, 
Jehoshaphat stopped and said, Listen to me, all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you'll be able to stand firm. Believe in his prophets, and you will succeed. After consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. So we have here what Jehoshaphat did, something incredibly powerful. He stands before his army, going off to face their enemy. And the instruction that he gives them is not to do a few drills right here and there. Let's not just make a backup plan in case God doesn't turn up. But his one instruction was to keep walking towards the place God had called them to walk to. And as they were walking towards it, he calls them to begin to sing praises to God. And he didn't do this because he could see that they were feeling a little bit down and just wanted to lift their spirits a little bit, make them feel a little bit happier as they're going off to imminent death. Uh, But he did it for this reason, that he understood one thing so clearly, that this was not a physical battle that was going on. And that even though they could not yet see a miracle that happened, even though they could not even hear the army being defeated, even though nothing in their environment had changed yet at all, he knew that he couldn't see it physically, but he could see it spiritually. And so he made a decision. He said, we're going to begin to declare the praises of God until we can see physically what God has spoken to us spiritually. And so he selects a group of people, a group of men. He says, your job is to go and march out the front. And their job was to lead the army in worship. And he calls them out the front of this mighty army, trembling in fear. And I can imagine It didn't really feel much like a praise party at that moment. And it would have felt awkward and it would have felt hard and it would have been the last thing that they felt like doing. But he commands these men to go out the front so they didn't really have a choice. And he tells them just to even what to say. You know, this is what they say. Says they say, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And so they're going out there. They're not feeling very victorious, but they obediently march before the army as they march towards their enemy, singing, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And they say it over and over again, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And they're singing and they're looking and they can't hear the sound of an army being defeated. They can't see anything has changed, but they continue to sing it, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And they still can't see anything, but they continue to declare it, give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And I can imagine it started with just a few, but now they're starting to actually believe it. They're starting to declare it across their lives. They're starting to declare it across this battle that was facing them. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. And they've got this army of men. The one thing they are doing is singing this song over and over again to God, declaring the greatness of God, declaring the goodness of God in the face of their enemy. And this is what happens next starting in verse 22. It says, At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The armies of Moab and Ammon turned against their allies from Mount Seir and killed every one of them. After they had destroyed the army of Seir, they began attacking each other. So when the army of Judah arrived at the lookout point in the wilderness, all they saw were dead bodies lying on the ground as far as they could see. Not a single one 
of the enemy had escaped. I want to tell you this morning, church, that praise is not for when you are feeling good and you've just won a great victory and you're really happy with what is happening in your life. But praise is a powerful weapon that can be used in the midst of battle. I see in my Bible that when I'm willing to praise God, even through my circumstances, even when I can't see it, that my enemies are defeated as God goes to war for me. I see in the Bible, in the battle of Jericho, that when they were willing to praise their God, that the walls are stood between them and the promises God had declared over their life fell crumbling down, not because of their might, but because they simply went to war with the praises of God. I see in the Bible with Saul and Silas in prison that when they're shackled and the doors are shut and guards are all around them, that as they begin to sing the praises of God, that their shackles broke off, that their prison doors opened, they're able to walk out completely free. The praises of God are so incredibly powerful. It doesn't matter how big your circumstance is. It doesn't matter what the doctor has said. It doesn't matter how far gone your child is. It doesn't matter how broke you are. It doesn't matter your past. The praises of God are so much bigger than any obstacle that would set itself up between you and what God is calling you to do. I want to invite the worship team to come back up. So we're going to praise in a moment. Because you see, sometimes I think I have and maybe you're the same, we've forgotten the power of praise. I began to realise it just a little bit when I was a teenager. You see, when I was a teenager, I loved playing the piano. We had a big piano in our house. And one of my favourite things to do was when everyone else left the house, which was very rare with that many people, um, was I would just jump on the piano and I just begin to sing and just play whatever came on my heart to God. And it was the first time as a young person I ever really knew what the presence of God felt like. And so I would just play there for like an hour, totally oblivious to what was happening around me. It was not very good, just made it up as I went along, but I loved it because I was just worshipping God, declaring His goodness. And I didn't really think much of it because no one knew about it. Um, until one day, my dad came home from visiting our neighbour. And what I had forgotten was, although no one was in our house, pianos are very loud, and um, apparently the whole neighbourhood could hear what was happening. But you see, he'd gone to visit our neighbour because our neighbour uh, had been really unwell for a long time, both physically, uh, but more so mentally. Just tormented by depression, tormented by these feelings, by these thoughts that it was ripping apart his family and his marriage. He could barely work. And he would just sit at home, just torn apart by these feelings all the time. Like a broken, broken man. And so dad would often just go over there and just spend time with him. And as he went over there one time, this man began to share with my dad. He said, look, you need to tell your daughter that she needs to play that piano more and sing more often. Because he says, whenever I hear it play, I come out and I, I sit on my front veranda because for some reason I don't even understand it. When she plays, peace just begins to come into my soul. And just those voices begin to quiet and I feel good again. Just while she plays. So tell her to keep playing it. You see, this man was not a Christian and he didn't realise what was happening. 
But what was happening is as the praises of God go up, the voice of the enemy must be silenced. It cannot stand in the face of the praises of God. I love it when you see with David before he's king and he's called to go and play because he's a worshipper to play for the king and because he's tormented all the time. But as he begins to worship, it just quiets. And see, and my friend, our neighbour, he, he doesn't know God, so he doesn't realise that he doesn't have to wait for somebody else to come and bring the worships of God, but he could actually worship God with his whole entire life and experience that peace and experience that freedom every single day. I really believe that across this room that there's promises God has spoken over your life that you've been wondering if they were going to happen and fear has begun to arise. And I really believe that God is calling us to begin to worship Him despite our circumstances, to worship Him through our seasons, to worship Him when we can't see a difference, when we can't feel a difference because the battle is not on this earth, but it is in the heavenlies. And so we're gonna praise Him until we can see it happen. I believe that there's children here that you've been crying out for. What you need to do is begin to praise God. Thank Him for what He has done in them. Thank you for the promises that are over their life. I believe that there's jobs that people have been believing for. Begin to worship Him like you have already received it because He is going to look after you. He is going before you. I believe that there's people here today that you've been believing for breakthrough and it's like it is never, ever coming. How about we start worshipping until we see it come to pass? We're going to worship in a moment, but do you know that praise is not even just for on a Sunday morning? I love worshipping with my church family, but my favourite place to worship is in my room at home. You don't even need to be able to sing it. Just begin to say it. What are some good things that you know about your God? What are the promises that He has declared over your life? Because they're for good. Begin to declare it when you can't feel it. Let your cars become the biggest praise parties in town. Some of you travel distances each day to work. What if you made a decision that in that time, I'm going to begin to declare the goodness of God across my family, across my workplace, across my situation, across my health. In every season, I will declare the goodness of God. And you watch as God begins to defeat your enemies and God begins to break those shackles that have been binding you and God begins to knock walls down that have stood before you is simply make a decision that I'm gonna keep walking towards you've called me and I'm gonna keep praising you, God, until I see you bring about the promises that you have declared over my life. I wanna invite you to jump to your feet. You see, we can't make our life trouble-proof. You can't make your life trouble-free. You can't get rid of the struggles and the trials. But I know that God has never, ever called us to be victims to our circumstances and to be led by our circumstances. But God has called us to be conquerors and to be victorious. I see in the Bible that, that God promises to look after us no matter what season and what people we walk through and what areas we go. God always promises to look after us. Maybe some of you here today and uh, you've been facing a struggle. Something's been coming against you. Can I encourage you? Begin to actually seek God, the most powerful thing you could ever do. Don't just utter up a little prayer and then just pretend like it didn't happen, but say, God, I'm so serious about this. 
that I'm going to seek you until I hear an answer back from you. Maybe some of you need to begin to actually fast and seek God and cry out for the things that are breaking you out. Cry out for God to bring an answer because He wants to move in your situations. He wants to bring breakthrough. But the good news is that God doesn't want to just bring breakthrough in one situation, in one struggle, but God wants to be victorious in your whole entire life. You see, the reason Jehoshaphat was so f- safe was he made decision that I'm not just going to follow God when it suits me, but my whole life, God is going to be devoted to you. Maybe you're here today and you don't know God. Maybe you're in church for the first time or maybe you've been to church for quite a while, but you couldn't actually say, God, my life is devoted to you. I want to encourage you this morning that God doesn't want to be just victorious in one situation, but your whole entire life, in your work, in your family, in your health, in your finances, in your marriage, in every area of your life, God wants to be victorious. It just starts by saying, God, I'm just going to follow you. And where you go, I will go. And what you say, I will do. God, would you be Lord of my life? And so I want to invite you just to shut your eyes across this room because we're going to pray before we worship. And if you're here this morning and you would say, God, I want to today make a decision to give my life to you. Maybe it's for the first time. Or maybe today you're just realizing that you weren't actually following him. I would love to pray with you in your seats. And so if that's you, would you just raise your hand across this room and we'll pray together. If you'd say, God, I want to devote my life to you. God, I want to invite you to be Lord of my life. Is there anyone here this morning that say, God, I want to give my life to you? And also, we're just going to begin to pray for those needs. If you have a need here this morning and you're saying, God, I need your help. Would you just raise your hands across this room and we're going to pray. Oh God, we lift up every hand raised. We lift up every life here. Oh God, we just pray that you just come and you just speak answers into these situations. God, that you would do what only you can do, Lord. Oh Lord, that you'd just come and defeat enemies, Lord God. That you'd come and break off shackles, Lord God. That you'd come and knock down walls, Lord God. That you'd come and bring answers. You'd come and bring wisdom, Lord God. That you'd come and bring solutions that were not man-made, but were sent straight from you, God. Lord, we lift these situations up right now. And we just pray for guidance, God, and for an absolute miracle over every one of them, God. For children, for jobs, for marriages, for health, Lord God. For brokenness, Lord God. We just pray for an absolute miracle. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to invite you, we're going to sing. And uh, some of you have got promises that God has spoken to your heart. And you've been feeling a bit discouraged. You've been feeling a bit with fear. Can I encourage you? We're going to sing this morning. The worship team's going to lead us. Let's praise God like we're going to win a battle. Let's praise God like we know He's on top of everything. They know that He's above it all because God is so much bigger than your situation. Let's worship God this morning.